Welcome to Vino Week, episode 52. Welcome to Vino 101. I'm Bill. Hello, everybody. It's Al. We're going to... We're going to try to keep this one short, Bill. Um, but, you know, we haven't had a whole bunch of luck with that lately, but we'll try to keep it short. You know, I think we say that all the time, and then we get rolling, and then it's, you know, then we just, you know, we have to cut ourselves off. You want to you wanna dive into the, I mean, you know, what's on my mind and probably what's on your mind is, I mean, we almost went through it today is... Uh, the uh, public safety power shut shutoffs. Yeah, and they've even trained us so well that you know their acronym. <laughs> PSPS. <laughs> I was thinking today, um, as I um, I went through Sonoma Valley, and it's the windiest I've seen it in quite some time. So I was like, well, okay, maybe this is legit because it was windy, man. And when it's windy like that, I used to think, uh, good day for a kite. Yeah. But now I don't think that anymore. Now I just automatically think, God, I hope a fire doesn't start. <laughs> you know? Yes. Yes. Um, you know, I think it's really sad that somebody, so somebody did an analysis of the amount of money that PG&E's made in profit since its inception. And it's like $114 billion adjusted for today's dollars. Our infrastructure is close to 100 years old. And, you know, where did all that money go? <laughs> you know, it went to, you know, it went to events at Silver Oak for the execs. Well, that and, uh, you know, it probably went to greasing the palms of uh, whichever politician was in office. Um, you know, I mean, it got yeah, spread Newsom's, Newsom's sort of in the governor of California is sort of in hot water because he, you know, he has campaign contributions from PG&E. Like, I mean, and, and most politicians do. So, you know. Yeah, it's not going to be. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he's part of governor. Being governor, you have that target on your back. Just got to kind of roll with that stuff. But they, they also, as I understand and have read a little bit, pushed a lot of the maintenance and, and responsibility of that to contractors and did not are, are – you know, there's a bunch of malfeasance around their um, lack of inspecting the work or, um, you know, following up to ensure that it was done properly. I heard some crazy thing, I think, on a NPR, on the local NPR KQED affiliate on the news that they're buying transformers from China and like over 50 percent of them are they, they fail, you know, well, way I beyond. Believe, their, I can believe that. Well, yeah, I. Yeah, I mean, you could see how that can happen, but it's, yeah. you know, my whole point in saying any of this is we are at some level as citizens culpable here because, you know, we're not pounding our elected representatives to make things better. I mean, we will now because, you know, we've lost lives and property and, you know, it had to come to that. But, you know, it, it really is time and there's no reason in the 21st century that the technology is, um, is there that, hey, it's windy and I'm just going to shut myself off for a few hours and turn myself back on. It shouldn't be, um, you know, it shouldn't take crew, like, crews going out to deal with this stuff. And it does because it's retrofitted, you know, 100 plus year old system. It just kind of makes sense. And, you know, the, we're going to talk about the Kincaid fire here. I, I mean, the Kincaid fire started um, 
in an area they were going to shut the power off like an hour before the fire was ignited. And it was due to faulty equipment, like a line snapped and, and near the, one of their power plants, and boom, the Kincaid fire happened. And the Kincaid fire, for those folks that don't know, was the recent fire that was here in, in Sonoma County. Um, it burned, what, 77,000 acres? Um, How could you not know? I don't. Where, I just don't remember the. Where number. would you be? Oh, I think people. If there's anybody internationally, and and people maybe that don't live in California may not know the name of the fire. My friends in Italy were like, "Yeah, you know, is your home is is California still there?" Yeah. Well, you know, we can also talk about Venice, right? You know, I mean, it's sort of ironic that the city of canals and and boats and water is like you know, it's severe flooding. And it does yeah. make you wonder what the hell's going on. <laughs> yeah, pretty, you know, it's pretty crazy. But well, uh, I think I we, mean, we we live in. It, I mean, come on, Bill. It it's Silicon Valley, man. How can we, to your point, the wind kicks up and and we're like going, we're driving out in trucks to like turn off the power. I mean, right. how is that even possible? Yeah. So like the gas stuff. Natural gas, that makes sense. You shut the gas off. You got to re-energize the the delivery system, and then you got to go house to house to relight all the pilot lights. I mean that. Well, that's not that's not going to be a problem in the future, Bill. Yeah, because, because there'll be no that, gas. Um, well, yeah, you won't. New homes, they're they're mandating it that you can't even have natural gas yeah, in a new home a, now. A, yeah, well, you know, my generator's going to run gas. <laughs> Yeah, because <laughs> I'm, I, I've been doing work on microgrids. I'm going to build my own damn microgrid. Um, well, you know, it's funny. I travel in Asia every now and then for my work. Power goes out there. Every place I've worked or been at, power comes right back on because they have their own systems. They they yeah. don't rely on it. It's a it's sort of a, you know, I mean, there's mains and everything, as the British would say, plug into the mains. You know, there's you can plug in the grid, but. I, I, I have this vivid memory of being in, in Hyderabad, in India, and we were eating lunch, and the power just goes out. And nobody really freaked out. Everybody just kind of kept eating, and literally, like, um, less than a minute later, everything was back on. Yeah. I mean, everything just, like, came back. TV, satellite TV. I mean, it was it was kind of – and I'm kind of looking around. I'm like, hey, the power went out. And they're like, yeah? <laughs> like, so what? I don't think it should be like that here. But anyway. Yeah, we're going to have to, um, you know, I, I'm a, a big fan of uh, breaking up this monopoly and, you know, having having each municipality. I mean, I don't have a problem with Sebastopol saying, okay, hey, there's going to be a tax. There's, we're going to buy X amount of the grid and there's going to be a parcel tax or, or whatever, on, you know, for people to live here to pay for the upgrades that are going to be needed. Yeah. If it's going to save our homes and you know, we can't, we really can't depend on Pacific gas and electricity to, you know, to do the right thing. I mean, they've proven they can't do the right thing. We, we got, we got to break them up, man. Did you see the, uh, did you see the ad uh, by Heather Irwin uh, talking about the restaurateurs that are struggling? I did. You know, this one, this one hits me kind of deep because I was thinking, you know, back in the day when I had a couple restaurants, I was thinking, you know, how would I fare if my restaurant lost power for five days and I lost all my food 
and lost all that revenue for five days. I mean, I'd probably weather it, but it would be difficult. You know, because we'll just, those, yeah. those five days are, you know, that's probably what I would be using to feed my family. That's, you know, I mean, just those five days, maybe not even five days of revenue, maybe like four days of revenue. The oh, margins are thin, man. Yeah. A, a small business, um, I mean, especially a retail business like that, you know, the margins are pretty narrow and or, or thin, as you might say. And, you know, not having that when you, you know, have a bunch of per- perishable product, you know, it's devastating. One of the things that I was struck by that article, um, you know, there are people in there that are, you know, they've been around the block for a while. Yes. So it's not like, it's not like I decided to go start a restaurant and I had, yeah, I had some success, but I don't know that stuff yet because I haven't, the, I don't have the experience. Yeah. These people aren't there. You know, they're long time um, restaurateurs and, you know, t- you know, five plus, seven, ten, you know, decades of experience. And it is really, you know, I had to throw a lot of food out. We got, we, you know, you and I both got evacuated. We can talk about those stories, but, you know, I'm, you know, I'd come back. It was, I don't know, probably five days, four days. And, you know, the, the power had gone out, had been out probably for three days. And, you know, I'm, you open the fridge and you just start, we didn't have a lot, but it was still like all Good. of the condiment stuff you have in your fridge. Oh, we you had, threw away four, $500 worth yeah. of food. Yeah. Easily. Yeah. And, gotta, it's, and, you know. and it wasn't that much. Yeah. You know, it wasn't, you know, we do a lot of shop. We sort of do daily shopping almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but we still have stuff in the freezer and, you know, you have all the, you know, you, you open a jar of pickles. Well, you know, or, um, you know, you're not going to, um, you know, four, four, that's four or five bucks or whatever it is, two bucks. Well, when you're throwing 20 or 30 of them away, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's hard. And the, the restaurateurs, you know, one of the things that, you know, it's what's bad about what's bad about all of this for where we live is a significant part of our revenue um, and our business that employs people that makes generates money for the for our taxes is all hospitality entertainment. And as restaurants Absolutely. go down, you know, it that just it really there's a ripple effect that you don't see for months possibly years and that really is you know it's really a shame you know not to mention a lot of these people who run these restaurants it's sort of their dream to do this stuff yeah. you know you've you've worked in that business and you have to have passion to do that to get up every day and run a restaurant it it just you would you, you'd have to like care about it it's you seven know. days a week even if you're not in the restaurant oh yeah, if yeah. closed on monday you're still I, doing stuff yeah i'll never forget the yeah, I worked for I worked in my first restaurant job was in was in was in, when I was in college and you know I had a I was like oh, I'll run a restaurant one, one day. Well, you know, two weeks just watching the owners who were yeah. always they were they you know they were there at like three in the morning and they left at like one. And yeah. I'm I'm exaggerating, but it is sort of that it's a you're a, you are the restaurant if you're the and it's, it's you it owns you. And vice really versa. So it's sad to hear those stories, and it's really sad when you when we hear stories about you know PG&E execs off at high end wineries, you know, living off you know they're living off the backs of these people ultimately, and they have no stake. 
that's the big problem. It doesn't hurt. Yeah, them. it really is. I saw the um, they uh, asked uh, Sean Hall. Um, she runs the Gypsy Cafe. I know you've been there a bunch of times. Yeah. We go there periodically. Um, she estimates over that five days that she lost $36,000 in sales, food costs, and wages. Now, I mean, $36,000, you know, in the big picture over a year doesn't seem like a lot of money, but it's a lot to eat that you're not going to get back from an insurance company. That's, yeah. Well, if you do, it's going to be two years from now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, all of these businesses operate on cash. You got to have cash flow. So, well, it's a cash business. You know what I mean? I I just took all of my savings. It all went down the drain from a fire, and now I can't even buy food, let alone pay the rent. And it's thirty days when you get your food. You get your food dropped off, and you know, say the guy drops off fifteen thousand dollars worth of food. You put it in your walk-in. Hey, man, that bill's due in two weeks. Yeah, you know. Yeah. there's yeah. no 90 there's no net net 30 on this stuff no it's, <laughs> you know it's, it's like do so and you're I not going to get any and if you don't pay you don't get any more so you can't operate your business yeah. you so know you see uh trisha davis she owns whole pie i don't know if you've been there mm-hmm. but uh she's making all these holiday pies for everybody oh my God. so she's stocking up right yeah i mean yeah, and, and you want to buy more? Two or three eggs, right? Yeah. So and you imagine buy more. how many yeah. eggs she has. Yeah, I just <laughs> her walk-in. Yeah. You know, imagine all the dairy products she has. She's making all. She's going to make you know six, seven hundred pies for the holidays that people have ordered. So, PG and E's just going to say, "Hey, you know, sorry, we're going to turn your power off." Sorry. <laughs> what? She would be out of business. Literally, she'd be out if they if they turned her power off today. She'd be done. Yeah, she's be she'd be done. The um, and we're you know the other, you know the other thing here is we're used to having this, res, you know. The power doesn't go out. Yeah. You know, the earthquake comes, the power goes out. Yes, that's true. You know, but fire really. Now I'll have to say the uh, there's the, one of the other articles that that um. Uh, that we'll post is uh, sort of s- the story of the battle of the fire itself. Oh yeah, gosh. Whew. And we'll 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 st- I'll start that with uh, um, they evacuated a lot of people. Um, where they're that were far away from the fire, and it's only after the fact you, you start to understand why they did that. Yeah, um, and that really fell to the county's leadership. Um, the state had some level of control, but they ultimately sort of ceded to the county and said, "Hey, you know, this is what we think the fire is going to do. Um, you, you know, it's your call on whether or not you want to, you know, start to evacuate people. At least that's some of the stuff that I've heard. Plus, there's a little bit in that article, and they did. They evacuated a lot of people as a precaution, and a lot of people were upset by that, but. Due to that decision making, no one died in this fire, and you know the they they literally saved the town of Windsor, California. And you can drive out to Foothill Park, and you can literally see the line where it was burned on one side of the street where there was a park, and on the other side is a big suburban community, and it ain't burned. And you don't even have to do that. You can drive uh, up 101 
and yeah. just look to the right yeah. and look at that burn scar on that hill. And it's scary. Yeah. I mean, they literally were looking at reliving 2017, thinking that that, that it was going to jump the freeway. And, you know, they said, well, let's see if we can save this neighborhood. Yeah. And they did. Yeah. They saved they saved that town of Windsor. Literally, that fire was coming down. And if it would have happened like it did in 2017, I mean, a lot of it, like you said, a lot of it is learned from two years ago. Yeah. Let's just get the people out of here. Let's get them out of the yeah. way and let's concentrate on putting this fire out or con- at least stopping it from advancing. And and that's what they did. Yeah. I mean, they and- literally stood their ground and uh, they were able to stop it because – um, if they hadn't have been prepared and if they had, hadn't have had the number of firefighters in position and taken that stand, I would that, that town would have been ashes. Yeah. Windsor is a community that has, um, is one of the communities in Sonoma County that has a lot of dense housing. So there, there are more apartment buildings and condos there. There are more homes with sort of smaller yards. Um, uh, you know, it's a fairly large town in terms of the population there, and it 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 does that that density exists on both sides of 101, and then on the west side of 101, it starts to taper out, and it's you know there's like brush out there. It's it's kind of like you know it's plains. Yep. And so had it jumped 101, it could have been really, and the way the wind was blowing, I mean, we definitely could have seen some you know potential damage where we live and and what's crazy about these fights so 106 mile an hour winds at the top of the mountain range so and you know 30s 40s down below and remember what these what happens with these fires is these you know there's a lot of brush um it causes the fire to be really hot the trees basically explode and they create you know um like a like a fireball of of embers and they can travel quite a ways away. And that lands on a shake roof, which a wood yep. roof, which many people have here. And sure. before you know it, you know, three, four, five miles away, a, a new fire started you don't even know about yet. Absolutely. That's exactly what happens. That's exactly what happens. I do, I do think that they overreacted on the evacuations. And I'm happy that they overreacted. Because nobody was injured, yeah, and um, you know they, they they saved a lot of they saved a lot of structures. Yeah, I will say if I was in Bodega Bay, and they told me that uh, I had to evacuate, I'd be like, "Dude, I'm at the beach." Yeah, well, I would only leave. I would only leave because I mean Bodega Bay with no power, <laughs> and you know no you know with no power, it's not very fun. Yeah, you know, unless you got a you know. Yeah, I mean it's just you, you sleep a lot. <laughs> but it, but no, can you imagine I mean, in the Russian River if it got like down, it could just follow the entire Russian River, um, you know that whole valley, because that's all windy in there, right to the coast. Yeah, yeah. I saw um, when I drove when I drove up uh, a few weeks ago. I don't know if I mentioned this on the last podcast or not, but I looked at um, maybe. Hopefully, I'm not repeating myself. That town of Geyserville, when you look to the right, you see Geyserville. If you look up, you can see the burn scar all the way up, you know, going up um, the mountain, Gower Ranch, all of that stuff. That fire went down, and it almost got to the river. It almost got to the Russian River. 
but they stopped it before it got to the river. But I don't think it was going to actually, I don't know if it would have gone to the town because there's a natural fire break once you get to the flat part right there along the on, along the valley floor. It's all vineyards. There's nothing but vines there, and it would be hard to see the fire hopping over there. But I tell you, if you lived in Geyserville, I mean, it's not a big town, but if you lived in there and you were looking, <laughs> it's just wall of fire. Boat, I'd be definitely loading up the car. Oh man, I just can't. Like, I can't imagine. I mean, the firefighters that in the, this, this article, it, it 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 will be. It's posted. when We post the show. Yeah, read it because the firefighters are describing. You know. 40-foot walls of fire coming at them. You know. And, you know, here, you know, things that people don't think about. I have three propane tanks in my backyard. Yep. They turn into missiles. Yeah. <laughs> in the fire. You know, they explode, catch on fire, and shoot somewhere else. And, and you know, stuff you have. I'm, I'm sure if you have a home, you have stuff laying around your house that will easily catch fire and then catch your house on fire. So they oh talk about garage. like, you know, yeah, knocking the fences down. Oh no, stuff in my garage is, you know, I've got I've had hazard what's all known as hazardous waste now, leftover paint, yeah. uh, oils. There's probably I probably have uh, gasoline in there somewhere. You know, that stuff's just gonna boom. It's unbelievable. I'm glad. Like I said, I'm just glad everyone's safe. We learned a lot. I mean, they've learned a lot from this. I think the next step is really to to just dismantle PG and E into smaller pieces. Yeah, and, so, uh, and you know let let all the municipalities uh, take care of their own stuff. I mean, yeah. I know PG and E doesn't want to let go of San Francisco because it's just a friggin' money pot. Yeah, but they're not doing their job, man. No, not at all. And it it and in fact, we'll have a more resilient grid. Um, if it becomes decentralized and it really you know we really need to put the technology in where it's like hey there's going to be winds here get shut off automatically because the you know it's measuring the weather um or you know why why are we not burying this stuff (laughs) you know there's there's gas pipelines everywhere why don't we just use the exact same space make it a little bigger and put the electric there then we don't even have to worry about it, except for, you know, an earthquake, and then that can all be handled with circuit breakers and stuff. And I, and I'm no, you know, who know, I don't, you know, what do I know? That and you know, buck fifty will buy a cup of coffee somewhere. But it certainly seems that we can do a lot better, especially given the amount of money we pay. And it's, you know, the fact that we've had wildfires where people die just—it's almost it's inconceivable, almost in the 21st century. Really? Yeah. <laughs> You know, I just, really? I just go back to the, we're in Silicon Valley. How does this happen? Yeah, the, how does this happen? Wait a minute, you're still stringing wires between poles to deliver electricity. What year is this? It's really, yeah, it's really, it's really hard to believe. Hey, uh, real quick, Bill, where are you buying your coffee, man? A buck fifty? Jeez. Yeah, I think a medium coffee at Starbucks or Pete's is going to cost you that. It might even be three bucks now. <laughs> got to be three bucks man i don't know well let me tell you i have uh um you know i'm just a i'm i'm i am not a coffee snob i do like a latte every now and then but i have a machine that i can do it myself and just black coffee is fine with me 
And yeah, I can make it all, you know, I can do poor, I can do, I can make it, you know, I get you high in beans and it. make it. Yeah. yeah. But you, you know what? I've seen you in action. Yeah. So, you know, but you know what I'm very happy with? My like little Mr. Coffee, Black and, De- Black and Decker Mr. Coffee I bought for, you know, 20 bucks. And I go to Safeway and buy the pound of, Safeway has ridiculous prices on coffee. It's ridiculous. There, it's people are drinking the coffee. They're like, "What is this?" I'm like, "It's five dollar a pound." You know, <laughs> you know, single origin on sale at Safeway. They're like, "What? How is that possible?" You know, it's it's I, Safeway. Yeah, and well, it's that's uh, pretty cool. Let's uh, <laughs> let's move on to a little uh, uh, grape talk. Yeah, um, I was going to say we better weave the. Uh, the grapes into the fire here people just they if you're still with that. us we appreciate it <laughs> <laughs> well you know i mean just for everybody i mean just being here and being at the epicenter of it i mean obviously it's going to weigh heavy on our minds and i mean we just went through a scare today that you know they were going to turn off the power and you know it's just it's it's just like you know it's like battle fatigue man it's like they've done this like four times now with, with turning the power off. So it's, you know, we're all going to have like PTSD. Yeah. Well, I mean, the first time was kind of novel, right? You know, we, my mom lives about two hours away, two to three hours away, depending on traffic was out of the fire zone. So we just, you know, went and hung out with her and, you know, my family's like, you know, that's fine. Major disruption. And don't have to go to school. Yeah. No school. But it's done now. I don't want. Yeah, I don't want to do that again ever. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> time's up. <laughs> yeah, time's up. I'm done. And then you know I got to be without power again. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's, it's uh, stupid. It, well, it's an inconvenience for us as normal citizens, and like I said, it's a it's a tremendous burden for people that are trying to run a business and make profit, make payroll. So, um, hey, we got. Um, I wanted to talk about these uh, growers up and down the West Coast, and there's an article by uh, Ross Courtney. It's called um, Grower Switch Gears After the Grape Glut. And it mainly focuses on some growers up in Washington. The lead photo has a guy, uh, he owns uh, CJ Orchards in Prosser, Washington. And he's cut his Chardonnay vines, and he's left the trellis up, and he's left the irrigation lines and he's planted cherry trees. Huh. Interesting. And the reason he's doing that is that he can't find anyone to buy his Chardonnay. He's got 13 acres of Chardonnay, and nobody wants to renew the contract with him. So he just pulled them out. And this is happening uh, with great frequency in Washington because there's basically a grape glut. Hmm. He had a big harvest in 2016. And um, they've got some really slow growth. Um, wines that are 11 bucks and under are basically declining. And um, wines that are higher priced, the premium wines, they're growing, but growing really slowly. And uh, there's all kinds of, I mean, we talked about this in the last podcast, I think. There's so many other things that people can try now. There's the, there's the cool spirits category thing going on. There's craft beers. There's ciders. There's seltzers. There's 
marijuana. There's just so many <laughs> other ways that you could, you know, there's so many other things to try. It's not like it was 15 years ago for the right. wine and beer business. Right. So it's, it's much more competitive. So you got a big company like Chateau, um, uh, St. Michelle Wine Estates, they crush 60% of Washington's wine grapes. So they're like the, the Ernest and Julio Gallo of, of Washington, right. Washington State. And they're just not renewing their contracts. They're letting their contracts when, they're, when they, um, when they uh, go out, they're just not renewing them because they got plenty of wine. They got plenty of wine in tank. And, uh, you know, there's no sense in making the stuff if nobody's buying it. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's what's going on. Um, they got this in this article. There's this interesting little. Um, it comes from uh, UC uh, UC Davis, and it's um, it's a little wheel. It's called the Wine Business Wheel of Fortune, and it says that we are now in an acute excess stage, meaning uh, intense pressure on wineries for quality and price, uh, excess. Um, uh, excess drowns established brands. Um, new brands innovate with lower cost supply. Margins collapse. I mean, it sounds horrible, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, great prices are low. Standards are high. Some grapes are not harvested. Sound familiar, Bill? For um, sure. But the bottom line is for consumers, great bargains. Yeah. That's I'm, what's really going on right now. That's what I'm, I'm like. Yeah, that eleven dollar bottle of wine's probably got some premium fruit in it now. <laughs> Absolutely, man. For not right now, and in exactly the next coming thinking. years, I mean, we're we're in a, it's going to be like a little bonanza for the consumer. Yeah, and you know, it's going to swing back the other way. But for now, things are going to be pretty good for us. Uh, so that's my um, that's my it's uh, what's it called? It's called the um, <laughs> it's the the turn this wheel of fortune. Yes. That is great. The Turrentine Business Wheel of Fortune. You know, the other thing that this doesn't talk about, um, but will also affect this, there's a, a, a pretty significant conversation going on in our county about limiting the amount of land that can actually um, um, be dedicated to farming grapes. Um, there's a whole lot of people who are concerned that uh, of this problem that we have, we're over we're over we have too many too much of the county's agricultural land is dedicated to viticulture and should be yes. more diverse um in fact i think there was a big sonoma county board of supervisors meeting a couple of weeks ago about this where you know it, it was it you know some acrimony um you know there are a lot of people that don't want you know a lot of the winery projects that or um vineyard conversions they're seeing the scale of those, the size of those things are getting bigger. Right. Um, and it's like, you know, it isn't, you know, somebody like Robert Rue who's growing grapes and has a barn and wants to, you know, basically use some of his property to make his own wine. This is like, um, well, the, you know, the Wagners, right? They want to build this like massive winery just outside of our town. I forget how big that winery was. It was big, but they want to hold events. They want to be able to support bringing people in on buses and, and I'm not saying that's bad or good. I'm just saying that there's a conversation going on about, you know, too much wine. And there is some concern in Sonoma County about wine taking over in terms of just it being the dominant thing. Um, 
and people point to Napa a lot about this, um, you know, Napa County. Um, so it'd be, and you know, of course, this could all kind of potentially affect the supply over time. I, it's also interesting to me that a lot of these people don't tank this stuff. I, you know, I think we talked before on the podcast that the Europeans will do things like, oh, it's a glut. I'm just going to tank everything. Yeah. You know, well, it depends on the, um, it, you know, I mean, someone, it just depends on the quality of the wine. I mean, someone, I mean, if, yeah, has, if, that's a, if it has the structure to last. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sure. I, I'm, however, I would argue that if you have a, you know, if you have a vineyard in Sonoma County and, you know, it's the, as you say, the right type of grape, you know, I would be seriously thinking about, you know, putting some storage tanks in. Um, yeah. You know, that's a well-known thing. Um, plus, you could probably always do something with that wine later on. You know, somebody's going to figure out something interesting to do with these grapes. You know, like we've talked about, you know, with the ciders or, you know, alternative beverages. You know, there's stuff sure. to do. You know, you don't have to make wine um, with the grapes. You mm-hmm. can make other beverages with it. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, it, it'll definitely, it, it, it will definitely um, be a boon for consumers. <laughs> That's for sure. Well, Bill, um, I'm going to quiz you. Uh-oh. Roll. You ready? I'm ready. What's the largest wine company in the United States? It's got to be. Is it Gallo? Bingo. I was, it's either Gallo. It's got to be Gallo, right? Especially after Gallo's, they... Gallo's at it again. Yeah, they are. And they bought... Um, so I've read two articles. They, they just bought the Paul Meyer, Paul Meyer Winery. Um, I love that. Well, it's interesting to me because it... it, it so you posted one article. I found another one... Um, and it, it seems like this is not a usual move by Gallo. You know, uh, not it, it's not necessarily something they they you know typically do. It, it's sort of a it's a pattern that we've seen with other large companies like this, but not one that Gallo um, has typically done. I don't. That's you know. true. Constellations uh, does this. They they buy brands. You know, like, uh, but Gallo doesn't buy brands. Gallo buys land. And this uh, is kind of a brand sale. It it, yeah. it, it appears, all, it, yeah. That's all it is. It's a brand because um, uh, Jason Palmeyer, you know, for year. I mean, he's a he's just a a, a a savant, you know, wine savant, and makes you know really high end, you know, really really good wines. But he's never really owned a winery. He just makes his wine at. And at custom crush facilities, yeah, Gallo um, custom crush facilities. By the way, so there's already there's already a linkage. Um, yeah, they have a relationship already because yeah, he was using um, actually one of Gallo's facilities to, yep. to make his wine. Although he hasn't always used Gallo's facilities, but maybe Gallo bought that facility and <laughs> he ended up using them. Who knows? Man? May, yeah, maybe. Um, uh, also, I think the article that you posted it seems like um, um, Paul Meyer's daughter. Cleo Palmire, um, and was it Gina Gallo? Um, you know, there. I it, it, it people in the a couple of the one article I read, they're alluding to there's a relationship between sort of the principles of Gallo and and uh, the Palmire daughter, and so that could have facilitated all of this. It could be because uh, Jason handed over the reins, I think, a couple of years ago to his daughter, 
Because, I mean, he's been in the business for like 40 years. Yeah. He's like, oh, I'm done. And is she the winemaker? Uh, uh, Cleo? Yeah. No, the winemaker is uh, somebody else. Gotcha. Um, Jennifer Williams is the winemaker. All right. And and Cleo, she has her own brand, right? She has a Wayfarer brand. which Yep, I, yep. She has I, another brand. That so they'll keep that going. Yep. And, you know, they did the same old, you know, well, you know, this is great for everybody. Everybody's happy. We're going to keep uh, <laughs> yeah, well, the Paul Myers on as consultant. Yes. And, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But here's here's the net net of this is is that Gallo is super smart in grabbing this brand because Gallo, you know, for year, what is it like three years now? Just a, several years ago, they bought Stagecoach Ranch, yep. so they've got all of these premium grapes growing up in the hills, and those contracts are expiring. And as those contracts expire, they don't have to sell those grapes to other companies. They can use them for their high-end brand. They get to, yeah, and so and the that the article was talking about that that you know some some of the fruit from the land that they bought this premium fruit is now is now accessible to the their their high-end wine brands that they potentially couldn't get. And you know this matters, right? So in the world of wine, this matters. You're going to get a better product probably get a more consistently higher quality product and with the paul myers i one advocate with his scores are a hundred he's getting a hundred scores for like years i mean that's yes. yeah you know that's that's a feat that's it that's a real feat to consistently do that you know the tastemakers are consistently saying i mean you know one of those people over time is eventually going to cave and say something negative and negative is not the right word. Not give you a hundred, um, yeah. but they've managed to do it. So, uh, you, you know, invest in Gallo stock if you can. Well, I just, I just, I'm so happy for the Paul Myers. I mean, I'm like really happy for them. I'm happy for Jason. I could just see him. I mean, he's he's living in Hawaii. Man. Yeah, what is he? Seventy five though. He's like yeah. seventy five. He's a retired Life lawyer. Is good and, man. Yeah. He's it's, over there in Hawaii with like Don Nelson, man. They're probably on the golf course, <laughs> that, you know, just doing their thing. Probably. That's, that's just awesome, and the guy worked for it, man. And yeah, uh, sure. you know, usually you you realize you know, the fruits of your reward when you sell, man. That's just how this business is. When you sell, that's when you get that's when you get all your money. Yeah. And he cashed out, and you know he's a winner, man. And the brand for people, you know, there's a lot of on, on Twitter, there's a lot of people like, oh, my, this is awful. You know, Gallo, you know, the world's greatest maker of Plunk, you know, they're going to just ruin this brand. None of that is true. No, that's not true at all. Gallo's it, are no. not, they're only going to make the brand better. Yeah, they are. That's, and they're, that's, you know, that's they're, all they're gonna do. yeah, and they're, a le they're the leader in the business for a reason. And they, you know, they understand the business. They understand almost all of the business goes to, you know, budget wine. And they've gotten really good at making it and really good at selling it and giving consumers different options of tastes in those, you know, in those non-premium bottles. At the same time, they understand there's a lot of money to be made in the high end and it's all about the branding. And so, you know, they did get a good job here it is really interesting and i think i would you know I, I have a lot of empathy for this they didn't sell the atlas peak um uh ranch it's a 55 acre ranch, yeah, on atlas the ranch. Peak. this seems like a deal that was a very a good deal in terms of people got what they wanted 
I mean, the Paul yeah, Myers it, certainly seem to come out, you know, having the, you know, they got what they wanted. You know, they sold. It's like a win. It's a win-win, man. Yeah, it seems like it. Um, and yeah. you know, okay, you know, the the haters on Twitter and everywhere else, you know, my two hundred and fifty thousand people that supposedly know me, but you know, I've never, you know, don't know who they are. And we treat them like they're our neighbors on Twitter. It's You're real friends. Yeah, it's the freakiest thing in the world. Maybe they will mess it up. But uh, I don't, you know, there's enough patterns here where, um, and the article talks uh, about this too, that these companies are taking these wines and making them bigger and better, to your point. Yeah, I don't, I don't see how they're going to mess it up, especially when you mention the fact that there's some type of symbiotic relationship between um, Chloe Palmeyer and uh, the Gallows, like uh, maybe probably with Gina, Gina yeah. Gallo. But all the people that are running that Gallo operation, the people that the front people on the marketing, Gina, her husband, uh, John, John uh, Boisset, these are smart people. Um, they care about the land. Uh, they're in it for not just their generation, but for the generation after. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they're, they're really good. They're just, they're just all, they always seem to be doing the right thing. Hey, the, the Gallows plant. are the seminal wine company in the United States. Yeah, they're, they're doing the right thing. So, you know, they, uh, you know, I think the first wine commercial or wine I was ever cognizant about was a Gallo commercial. And, you know, seeing the big, like, you know, jug of Gallo wine. And, oh, with the hook, yeah, the the, the Ernest and Julio Gallo Hardy, Hardy Burgundy. Yes, you the know Hardy Burgundy, man. I think that stuff still they probably it, still it probably that still around. But the it's fact at Long's Drugs, I just don't know, yeah. but it's got to be. <laughs> so that's a family business, and that family business was taken over by the next generation and turned into one of the world's or the world's largest wine company. They're in good hands, man. Like you say. I agree. I agree. You got no worries. Well, you mentioned this earlier, Bill. I just I wanted to talk briefly about the catastrophic uh, flooding in Venice. It's the highest tide in fifty years. And, and, and I was making a joke. Please, everyone, I'm I'm not. Um, I, I have a hundred percent empathy. We lived through floods. Where I, we lived through a flood last year here in Sebastopol, it took out businesses too. So. Um, I don't mean to make light of the situation of the people that are there by any stretch of the imagination. And the pictures I've seen are pretty amazing. Uh, speaking of the flood here in the Barlow, guess who's leaving the Barlow? The rumor is. No idea. McPhail's. How is that possible? McPhail's wine? Yeah. They're out. They're leaving. Huh. I think they're leaving in like, I don't know. I think they may have already left. Where do you know where they were going? Uh, and all I know is they're closing that shop for some reason, hmm. which is you know that's pretty weird because there's deep pockets there, as we know. Yeah. Well, you know what's oh. funny is there's a bunch of new businesses in. I mean, Barney, yeah. the the owner of the Barlow wasn't kidding. You know, there's a new restaurant going in where Zazu is. The the permit things on the wall. My head is exploding because I just don't know why someone would do that. I just don't. Understand. I guess maybe you put in your business plan. Okay, every eight years, um, my restaurant is just going to be ruined or whatever. It's just going to be underwater, so I'll be okay. Hey, uh, plan that. Everything's steel. Everything's stainless. Everything can be moved. Everything. I mean, that's how you have to design it. 
My gosh. Yeah, which is, cool. I mean, it's all it's all doable. But um, you were you were you had started to talk about Venice, so. So some of the images, like I'm looking at this one image where it's got these people are literally they're like moving their boat around on like where the sidewalk would be. <laughs> I mean, that's how deep the water is. I mean, it's up to the doorways. I mean, it's yeah. so I, I mean, I've been to Venice when they've had the high tide and I've walked, you know, they're used to the water coming in and, you know, you having, you know, a little two foot divider in your door and. Or they, they have their stuff stacked up where you can just go in the store and you can walk around in your waiters and shop still. But this is extreme. Yeah. So, um, but there's a video um, that, that'll show you if you want to look at it. But, I mean, it's like a, it's a record. And they're working on some type of device to deal with these high tides. But it's all tied up in the Italian bu- bureaucracy and there's, there's just a whole bunch of malfeasance and it's, it's a mess. Yeah. I've, uh, I've had a, uh, we have family friends who moved years ago to, um, I think to Rome or Florence. And, uh, the stories that they have of trying to deal with, um, the bureaucracy was wow. Yeah. I'll tell you, it was wow. I mean, it was, yeah. uh, I, I can't, I, it's the kind of thing you hear people tell you and that they're like, it can't be true. Yeah. It can't be true. You know, things like, hey, you know, the office is open every day from 1 to 105. Yeah. And, oh, I, you yeah. know, and if you're not there and it's, and, and, um, you're not going to get your stamp or your library card or whatever you need to get to the next level. And oh, by the way, if it's Wednesday, if Sergio isn't there, we can't do it either. It's true, man. It's and Sergio's true. on a three-week trip to, you know, um, to Spain. Yeah. Last know. time I was there, man, I tried to, I tried to uh, get some work done at the post office. Not possible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Between talking to the old guys in the square and finally getting directions to where the post office was. And then getting to the post office, and the post office is closed. It's like, oh man. Yeah. And did the old guys laugh at you when you asked directions for the post office, and and say like, why do you want to go there? Well, they didn't. They didn't laugh at me. But after like about a fifteen minute conversation going back and back and forth, you know, my my, my Italian's okay, but you know, it's not that great. But um, it's functional. They understood me, and we kind of, you know, we 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 got through it all. And then at the end, they're like, they said like, well, what are you going to? I'm going right now, and they're going. It's closed. Why did you? How come you didn't tell me it was closed before yeah. we went through all this? Well, that's that's there. You go. That's where it all starts, right there. You didn't ask. <laughs> you didn't ask. You didn't ask. It was open. <laughs> Too funny. It is funny. It is funny. It is funny. Oh man! I, I highly recommend the Italians though go to uh, Holland and talk to the Dutch. They managed to figure out how to. Uh, Work with the water. Work with the water. Yeah, yeah they got it. They got. Yeah. They got Am- it down. Amsterdam is below sea level. <laughs> I'm yeah, just saying. I don't, uh, I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just well, saying. I mean, it, basically, it's it's. Well, I mean, it's it's the New Orleans thing. You yeah. build a big dike. You know, I mean. I guess. And that's just that's kind of how it is. And yeah. as long as there's no hurricane that you know, push the water over the dike, you, you're gonna be okay. In theory, that's the theory. Right. Hey, should we? Uh, what have you been drinking lately, man? 
You know, I um. Looks like you got a beer in your hand there. Uh, yeah, it's a, a go-to. It's a pilsner from Sudwerk Brewing in Davis. I, I oh, I love Sudwerks. Yeah. yeah, I love this. This beer is a. It's made with um, 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 Weimaran um hops, and it's a very true to type German pilsner. A lot of malt, not a lot of malt. The malt's pretty well balanced in this beer. It's not super hot. Um, Thirty-five IBU. So yeah, do they bitter. still have their their restaurant and brewery thing? As they, you're going to no. You familiar with this label? Uh, can you? Uh, yeah. The, so the crest on the bottle, I recognize. Okay. Uh, yeah, with the with the uh, the dancing black uh, mares, the horses. Yep. That's the family crest, I think. Yeah. This is um, I I went down to um my favorite store, one of my favorite wine stores, KNL in San Francisco a few weeks ago, and I just picked up. Uh, it's kind of fun. You go into the store and you just have no notion of what you're gonna get. You just go in and start wandering around. And uh, I told myself I limited myself to just six bottles, so I picked up the six pack. Um, this is one of the winners out of the six pack. Um, the wine, it's called Bibiano, and it's a Chianti Classico 2016. Uh, I think it's like KNL. I think it was like 17, 18 bucks, I want to say. Um, it's The winery itself is in the commune of um, Castellina, and it's a pretty big property. It's like uh, 220 hectares. Um, it's been around, um, well, the property's been around for, since like, it's been around a long time, but the, the people that own it right now have owned it for maybe, I think about a hundred years. Um, the guy that made the wine there forever was, uh, Tommaso Maracchese Marzi, and he just passed away recently, I believe. Um, it's owned today by Tommaso Maracchese Marzi and his brother, uh, Federico. It's kind of old school Chianti. Um, I believe it's all, you know, I didn't get all of the uh, details on it. I believe it's all Sangiovese. Sangiovese. Yeah, it's wow. uh, it's got a nice dusty uh, black cherry nose to it. You get that fresh turned earth um, in the nose also. And... Uh, that's uh, really good acidity, you know, get that sour cherry thing going on a little bit. And um, what makes what made me realize it was such a good wine, it's like the first night I tasted it, I was like, oh, this is really good. And I just had like a glass and I just corked it up and just put it in the fridge. And then the next night when I got home, I pulled it out of the fridge, let it warm up for like 35, 45 minutes, poured another glass. I did that four days in a row. It got better and better every yeah, night. It, so this is how you know you have a really nice bottle of wine, really good, yeah. solid wine. I mean, if the wine has enough, you know, is strong enough to be able to do that, you know, the the wine structure is amazing. And of course, that's probably all due to the terroir of where this stuff's farmed. I mean, I mean, how old are those vines? I think the vines for this property are. Um, they're in the 30, 25 to, to, to 30 years. 
Um, they re they did a big big replant back in um, 2000, 2000, 2005. They did a replant. So, gotcha. so they're they're only oh, twenty so years they're old. Okay. So, um, but the land's that's been a, there. That's a great time. bottle of wine. Uh, it's just a basic Chianti Classico. It's not a reserva, so it doesn't see a whole bunch of wood. Um, I think it's done in um, um, just a small amount of new oak, but it's mainly done in um, Slavonian um, oak bati, which are like really big, big barrels. Yeah. Yep. And um, it's uh, I, I'm going to buy like a, a six pack of that wine. It's that good. And what was the price? Did you say tell the price point? Like seventeen bucks. Yeah, so it's like it's yeah. probably so it's a it's a it's technically a premium wine, but it probably drinks like yeah. a super premium. Yeah, I was I was really uh, I was really surprised. Most most of your Chianti's now, um, I mean, I'd say that's like the low end for a bottle of that quality. Um, price wise, yeah, usually you're looking at twenty bucks. Yeah, twenty bucks and up for yeah. something of that quality. Um. I didn't pick this up at the bottle barn, but I picked I picked this up at the bottle barn, not um, KNL, and I think you're familiar with this. Label. Yeah, I'm like I know that wine. It cha- they changed it. This is uh, Trentadui. Uh, Trentadui, um, that's 32 in Italian, and this is um, it's Old Patch Red. And the Old Patch, I've I've drank the Old Patch for years. Yeah, uh, they changed the label. I don't like the label. <laughs> yeah. Well, the label's the label. for millennials. That's for millennials, man. Yeah, it's a millennial label, and the wine is a little bit more. It's become a little bit more millennial too because old patches uh, back in the day, uh, you know, they didn't have um, this wine is is definitely more refined because I remember old patches <laughs> back in the day. After you poured the wine, you, you'd have like the you know you'd have sediment in the yeah. bottom bottom. Yeah. This, this wine is polished, man. It's 67% Zinfandel. It's 25% Petit Syrah, 5% Carignan, 3% Syrah. And it's aged uh, for nine months in um, 15% New Oak. So it's really, uh, it's super, um, it's not jammy at all, but it's it's uh, definitely fruit forward. It's, it's pretty close to jammy, I bet. Yeah, it's yeah. juicy. Uh, it's super bright. Um, it, you know, it's not going to take the same treatment where you have a little bit, put it in the fridge, have a little bit more. It's not going to last. No, <laughs> it's got the screw cap, but it's it's a nice bottle. It's, I think it's like eleven bucks, man. I mean, it's true to type Zinfandel. Yeah, it's eleven bucks. So yeah. that wine's um, always been a a winner, and uh, you know, that's so, way it, that's like the table wine I want to drink. Yeah, so this would be a nice holiday wine. You know, you bust this out. Nobody's going to, like, turn this down. People are going to have this and going to go, hey, that's what is that? You know? Yeah, people you know? think it's good because it, it, yeah. it, it, it will appeal to – it's an easy-drinking wine. It will. I, I mean, I haven't had that vintage, obviously, but in the past, that wine's always been very drinkable by people. It's very accessible by people um, uh, just because of the way they put the wine together. Yeah. Um, yeah, they blend it is what I'm trying to say. It's good. And, man, you can't beat it 11 bucks. No, you can't beat that yeah. with a stick. There's no way. Yeah. And the label looks – the label to me looks like uh, – yeah. Um, yeah, well, it looks like a millennial. Yeah, I could – you know, the geeks in San Francisco will go out and be like, what do I buy? Well, that kind of looks like some software interface I've used, so I'm going to get it. It's okay. 
It's a nice looking package. It's a heavy bottle. I mean, I mean, yeah. they spent a lot of money on this package. Yeah. I mean, so, but I, it doesn't it doesn't do anything for me. I'm all about the wine. And, and, <laughs> Let's and speaking hope. about <laughs> speaking about the wine. This is killer. You got to get some of this. It's called Black Slate. Uh, yeah. Who's Black the... Slate. It's 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 an Eric Solomon selection. All you got to do is flip this bottle around, look yeah. at the back label. And see Eric Solomon on there, and you're as good as gold. You're what, in. What where what kind of wine is it? <laughs> it's from Priorat. I don't know that. It's a Spanish. Uh, it's a Spanish wine from Priorat. Um, Priorat is um, an area that's up in the northeastern part of uh, Spain. It's about um, I don't know, maybe an hour southwest of uh, Barcelona, and um, Super, uh, super high altitude. Um, this comes from some very specific villages. It's 60% Grenache, uh, 40% Carignan, and uh, I think it's got some Cabernet in it. Is that um, big? Is that a big? Is that really like a almost like high desert area? Very. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. These vines are they're old and decrepit. They're yeah. dry farmed. The yep. whole, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, and they're they're the. So I saw a BBC program about this area probably about five years ago, and how there were all these resurgent winemakers who were who were figuring out how to make wine out of these, you know, basically out of the the area that they're that they live in. You know, it's not optimal conditions for you know growing wine or grapes. I mean, so it it um, it's interesting that that's. Um, and they had a lot of good things to say about the wine and they did make comments like these people are kind of starting and it's going to be really great. Watch out for it. It's sure enough. Wow. Kind of cool. Yeah. Priya Rat's a pretty popular, um, um, well-known area, uh, for high end, um, wines, but the wines are really expensive there. And what I liked about this wine is that, I mean, it's. I think it was. I want to say it was eighteen bucks. Which I don't know how they got this wine for eighteen bucks, but it's definitely worth it. It's got, um, like I said, it's sixty percent uh, Grenache. It's got some Carignan, and it's cut with a little bit of Cabernet. Um, just like when, as soon as you smell it, it's like that black and blue fruit, just like just, just there. takes over, man. Yeah. With like, it's it's it's. It's really, really aromatic. So I think it spends 12 months in oak, but it's just neutral oak. So you're really getting just the, the pure, unadulterated fruit profile. And it's um, it's it's really well balanced. It's kind of gritty, kind of got that graphite kind of almost um, grittiness to it. Yep. And it lasts forever in a glass. So when you're when you're drinking it, you know, you swallow it, you taste it. Literally, you're still tasting it 30 seconds later, man. It is, it's intense. A, a good wine to understand the the meaning of long finish. Yeah, I mean it's it's just it's just really intense. So, um, and remind us again why Eric Solomon matters. Eric Solomon matters because he's uh, scours um, uh, Europe and uh, mainly. Uh, Spain and finds these old uh, vineyards and these old um, places, uh, and he gets uh, vintners together, and uh, he he 
has them make these wines for him. Yeah, he's an Im- special selections. Is he an importer? Yes. Or yep. would you say okay? Or would you say he's a negotiant? Uh, he's he's an importer because he doesn't he he's doesn't not, like, he doesn't bottle the wine and makes them. He just finds the people. I'm just that, trying to throw in some product. wine wine language here for folks. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so um, one of the one of the tips that I learned from Al and others is if you find an importer whose style of wines you like, it is always a great place to start to understand uh, a particular region or a particular style of wine. You know, you have Eric Solomon's um, Bordeaux. I don't know he makes a Bordeaux. I'm just using this example. He makes right. a wine of this type, Bordeaux, whatever. You really like it and you want to learn about things from this area, Priya Pratt, safe bet to buy one of these things and you know lo and behold you're going to go um you know it's not dissimilar to an editor in a in a in some type of uh paper or other type of journalistic work you know you can think of eric sort of like an editor he's out there kind of you know calling things that he probably finds interesting and he's got an audience for it so always a really good thing to find these wines plus almost all of these I, I, more often than not, um, you're going to get a good deal like this. You know, that bottle, you know, you could probably hock that bottle in a restaurant for 50, 60, 70 bucks. Easily. Yeah. You know, I, I'm just trying, I'm just trying to use that as an example of sort of the value of the, the value that you're getting out of this. So it pays to, it pays to actually pay attention to this stuff. That's a secret. And I'm going to, I'm going to see, let's see, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm trying to remember what I paid for that. Oh, it's eighteen bucks. Yeah, I mean, that's what she said. Yeah, it, you can't go it's, wrong. It's probably going to be more, you know, somewhere. It's probably going to be. It's like a twenty, twenty-two dollar bottle of wine. I would say. Yeah. You know, retail somewhere. I don't know how they were able to price it at eighteen bucks. Where did you get it? This is part of that six pack I got from uh, KNL. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I got one. One more, and this is my last one. Um, this bottle I got. Um, and I don't buy a whole bunch of wine from, um, you know, sites, but uh, these guys are pretty, they've been pretty reliable uh, with stuff that I bought from them before. Um, I got this from Last Bottle Wines. And it's uh, it says by Clinet, C-L-I-N-E-T. Oh, I just, I saw, I did not see the T. Yeah. Okay. I'm like, it's, a client, was that a client? What is that? It's a <laughs> Go ahead. It's by Clinet. Yeah, um, it's uh, well, Clinet is um, one of the leading producers of uh, in Pomerol, and uh, this isn't you know a lot of um, a lot of the Bordeaux producers they'll have their main wine like Chateau Latour will have their main wine and then they'll have their second wine uh, Moulin de Courants or Clinet. Their second wine is uh, Fleur de Clinet because what happens is. Okay, when these guys are making a wine, the wine comes in. To make a long story short, though, they have to classify. You know, like you could put the same wine in different barrels, and the two barrels are going to have. They're not going to be exactly the same. They'll be. They'll be. You know, they're going to be dissimilar. So it's the same thing with the wine. A lot of times, the wine will come in. Uh, they'll take the free run juice, and it'll go to a certain tank. And then they'll take a certain amount of the pressed wine and it'll go to another tank and they'll vinify them separately. 
and then they'll decide what they're going to use to make their master blend later on, you know, the following year. Um, this, this is what winemakers. Wine, this is what winemakers do, folks. They figure yeah, out they they are they are responsible for make one making sure the process doesn't get messed up, and two, they've got to figure out how to take the juice that they have and the wine that they make from that and put it together into a product. So so this wine is stealing off of the Clenet name because clearly on the label, prominently it says Clenet. Yeah. You know, it's like you see that yeah. and you go, oh, Clenet. But the, the real Clenet, <laughs> the real Chateau Clenet costs like the 2015 Pomerol costs, it probably costs like 160 bucks. Yeah. You know? This bottle only cost me 40 bucks. I mean, it's one fourth the price, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. and, and you know what? Something you want to, you know, that's a really nice thing to try in the holidays if you're into yeah. wine. So it's one fourth the price. And it probably only has a quarter of the real Clenet grapes in it. Yeah. So what happened, what what has happened in this particular uh, instance is the people that own this winery, the son that runs it, his name is Ronan. And he has a negotiant company. So what he does is he puts a certain portion of the Clenet in this bottle. And then he, he goes around, and as Bill was alluding to, and he finds other wines from other growers, and he blends them to make this wine. This wine is fantastic. I have to try some of that. It's ridiculously that. good. The only problem with this is you're probably not going to be able to find it. I, I hesitated even bringing it up, but what is the? What's the vintage? It's a 2015. Yeah, a 2015 Chateau Clenet is uh, 125. Not shipping. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's a good price. <laughs> that sounds like a really good price. That's from Laguna Cellars. Wow. Um, okay. But, you you know, this stuff's around. And it's, you know. <laughs> uh, a 2016 at Chateau L'Anglas Clenet is $335. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this, is, <laughs> this, is, this is high For end. juice. Well, yeah, I mean, and it's 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 Pomerol, which makes it you know yeah. it's from Pomerol, which is a small area for wine growing anyway. I mean, this is predominantly Merlot. I think they might have cut it with a little bit of Cabernet. I didn't really look. Um, I just actually just opened it up a couple of nights ago, and I we drank half of the bottle one night, and we drank the other half last night. But it's a beautiful wine. Um, it's got that um, that dusty. Um, black and blue fruit, uh, mouth coating texture. Um, you get the licorice, you get the pie crust, the vanilla, you get it all, man. I mean, it's definitely Sounds put like together it. for yeah, the American yeah. palate. Yeah. Yeah. So a little um, bit of it, a little bit of glimpse of what the, uh, $335 bottle. Yeah. It's just is a like. little, it's a, it's a just very a little... small window into what you would get if yeah. you spent, you know, Three or four times that, and I bet you if I, I bet you if you're a, a person new to wine and haven't had Bordeaux wines, that wine may not appeal to you right now. Yeah, well, this one definitely or, has, or a, is it just... has a new, has a more of a new world appeal. Okay, I, I would think that probably um, the real thing, the Chateau Clenet, would would probably be a oh, yeah. little bit it's gac, you know. Yeah. Tastes like, I mean, it tastes like gag. Seriously, I mean, if you don't know what's going on, it's, it's like, what? A, Are you kidding me? Term? Yeah. Yeah. 
Gak. And I can describe where I came up with that word, my, my visceral experience. When I was this, uh, a ride-on scrubber salesman, floor scrubber salesman. Yeah. The, I sold in the winery. So, yeah, the stuff that's in the tank after you suck it up off the floor, that's gack. That is gack, yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, hey, that's a great find and a really great tip. So uh, that's all I got, man. Right on. Those are, those are some uh, those are some wines that would would uh, make you a lot of friends at, at, during the holidays for sure. Yeah. Um, on that note, thank you everyone for listening. Um, if you want to reach us, it, so Al's hot and heavy on the Twitter. Friend him; he can be your buddy. Uh, I'm just. <laughs> I'm just, I got so I, many I, friends. I'm just, I'm just, you know, the Twitter, the whole Twitter thing is just amazing to me. You know, I'm hearing stories of people who are, um, they're like, you know, they're they're connected on Twitter, but they don't see each other's posts. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> How's that it's happen? A ro- it's robots, man. The robots are running. They get to determine. It's an algo. The algorithms figuring it out. Um, uh, anyway, you can hit Al up on the Twitters. Um, uh, and thank you to everybody who's recently, we've had a f- uh, fairly decent uptake, um, on, um, Facebook. Um, we also have a, um, Instagram page now, um, which I haven't started populating with pictures, but I will shortly. Um, I'm, well, I drive by these vineyards every day and just start snapping pictures. Um, I know I saw the note and you're asking me to sign in. I'm going, what is this? Yeah. I don't know if I can do this, man. No, no, I, 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 I will own, that will be my beat. As they would say, um, and and so we'll we'll start to populate that. But hey, we appreciate all the attention from uh, the likes and stuff, and um, you know we appreciate any recommendations. If you like what you hear, tell a friend, and um, um, uh, you can also reach us at info at vino101.net. You can leave us a comment on our blog, and I, I will say it again: thank you for listening. Yeah, and uh, everyone, if you could send us some pictures of uh, your uh, holiday um, festivities, you know, just snap a photo and just send it to us, you know. Yeah, you know, send it those, to us. We'll, one we'll, of those uh, mediums, and that that would be really cool. Yeah, it would be great. And we'll we'll uh, we'll we'll do something with Instagram on that. We'll do it's the all, same. It's all about the pictures. Um, cheers. Cheers, everybody.